Hi, I'm Michelle Kung, an editor at A16Z. And in our new podcast series, Time to Build LA, we're taking a deeper look at investing in company building in Los Angeles. LA has long been known as a mecca for entertainment, gaming, and the aerospace and defense industries. But now it's also the third largest tech hub in the United States. Snap, TikTok, and SpaceX all have headquarters here. Investments in the region continue to increase, and scores of new founders, venture capitalists, and tech employees relocated here during the pandemic. To celebrate the LA community and the city's growth, A16Z recently hosted Time to Build Los Angeles, an event where we invited LA-based investors, founders, and operators from across a diverse range of industries to talk about company building in LA. In this episode, David Banks, a former Riot Games executive who's now the co-founder and CEO of Elodie Games, and Timu Toke, the co-founder and CEO of Ready Player Me, a leading platform for cross-game avatars, join A16Z general partner and games investor John Lai for a conversation about where they think the metaverse is going and the future of building games. What follows is a slightly edited version of that conversation. So my name is John, as Kathy mentioned, I'm one of the GPs in the A16Z Games Fund 1, and I am deeply honored to be here today with two founders building the future of games. Why don't you go around and introduce yourselves briefly, um, maybe starting with you, David. Uh, sure. David Banks, uh, CEO of LED Games. We're building the next generation of cross-play games. We really look to connect players around the globe uh, through deeply engaging experiences. Uh, hi, my name is Timo. We're building Ready Player Me. Uh, it's a cross-game avatar platform for the metaverse. The metaverse is not one place or one app or one game. Uh, it's a network of thousands of different worlds. So it makes sense for users to have an avatar that travels with them across many different virtual worlds. And that's what we give to the kind of users of, of the metaverse. And from a developer's point of view, when you're building a virtual world or a game, uh, you have to build an avatar system or a character system for a game. And uh, we, we solve that problem and give them a, a character system they can integrate in a few days. And we work with like 3,000 different companies that they're using our out there across, across many applications in the metaverse. Let's talk about LA for a bit. So David, you spent most of your professional career here in LA and you're also a Dodgers fan. Yeah. yeah, we're actually going to the game tonight as a team. So squeeze that in somehow. <laughs> That's awesome. And so you, you've worked at Riot Games, you, you've worked at Bode, you attended UCLA, and Timu, like you have many, many partners at Ready Player and Me that are based here in LA. Yeah. Um, maybe talk a bit about how you've seen the startup environment for LA, specifically for game developers and metaverse builders, sort of evolve you know, over the last couple of years. Sure. Um, I moved to LA for Riot in 2008. Activision was here and Blizzard was down south, and there, there really wasn't a lot of a landscape here at first and, and attracting, of course you have Hollywood and all the creative talent here, but for engineering and game engineering and back-end engineering, we were pulling in people from all over the place, uh, all over the country, all over the world to come and work here in LA and, and it's evolved so much since then. I think Riot's a huge LA success story. You look at something like, you know, other companies like Snap are huge stories and now there's, I mean in games alone there's, I don't know, you know this number better than I, probably 20 plus game startups in LA alone, so it's changed a lot. Yeah, I was actually based in LA for like five years ago, for a year, I went to LA Tech Week five years ago, it was a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's just definitely been a, a great development and we have a lot of partners here, a lot of creative talent here, 
explore the kind of metaverse, um, the creative part of the metaverse and where 3 comes from LA. So it's, it's definitely great to see how it's, how it's changed. Mm -hmm. and, and why do you think there are so many game developers here in LA? Like what are sort of the pros and cons of, of being a game developer here versus another, another city? It's a hub, it's a center, right? You can come here, you can find the, the job of your dreams, you can find the exact game or company or role that you're looking for here because there's so many opportunities. And so I think it just sort of builds upon it, you know, becomes a snowball and just sort of builds on itself. That's great, I think there's a lot of opportunities here. I think folks like A16Z have, have identified that and have, have really come in and helped nourish the environment and, and that's been helpful as well. And let's shift gears a bit and talk about a topic that I think um, uh, has been the subject of a lot of debate and potentially controversy recently, which is the metaverse. So as a game developer, as a platform you know, developer, what is your view of the metaverse? Like, what is it? Like, how close are we to it? So John always says my answer is a very uh, Web 2 answer. Um, I don't know whether to be insulted by that or not, but we'll figure that out later. But I feel like, I mean, I'm a lifelong gamer. I've been playing games forever. And as a gamer, I've always used gaming platforms and tools like Vent or, or even now Discord to gather with my friends and, and interact and sort of gaming has always been the excuse. But now there's so much more for us to do in games. We can not only play games, but we can watch our favorite sports. We can, uh, we can listen to music, we can go to concerts. Like we, we've, we're already doing all of these things. But they're, but they're really geared around hardcore gamers. And, and I think that the folks who are looking in from the outside and they're seeing all this stuff going on, without being controversial, I feel like they're trying to give what, what they're seeing a name. And I always say, well, they, they've labeled it the metaverse, right? And I do think that there's potential to broaden that audience for creating experiences and excitement for people who aren't uh, the thousand-hour game gamers like myself. Yeah, for one side, the metaverse is here. You know, three billion people are playing games every year. We look at what like ten to fifteen-year-olds do. They spend a lot of time in Roblox and Fortnite and Minecraft. Like a lot of their social uh, interactions they have with their friends are actually in the metaverse or in, in a virtual world already. Mm -hmm. And those kids grow up and they will start using products uh, with avatars for maybe for work and then so forth. So mm -hmm. in that sense, like the behavior or like the kind of like the the fact that people spend a lot of time in virtual world is already here. Uh, what's missing from our point of view is all those worlds are closed ecosystems. All those worlds are separated, closed walled gardens that don't kind of exist together. So it's not, the metaverse is not one game. It's a network of thousands of different virtual worlds and, mm -hmm. and games and so forth. What you're, what you're referring to is that if you play Minecraft today, you can't take any of your items over to another game, right? like Fortnite yeah. or Roblox and so on. Exactly. So yeah. like if you play, play several games, you have a different avatar for each game, you have a different uh -huh. Uh -huh. Economy, economy in each game, you can't transfer between them. So it's, it's, it's like a very, um, yeah, it's not a connected metaverse. And for the real metaverse to happen, there need to be cross-game services and, and protocols and standards that link those worlds together. And avatars are, are a major part of that. That's why we're working on avatars. Uh, anyone, you know, should be able to create an avatar they love and, and travel with it, with it across worlds. Mm -hmm. And that helps like connect the metaverse a little bit more and push it to the kind of uh, open open metaverse side. I guess. What What in your view were some of the benefits that you get from breaking down these walled gardens and enabling interoperability that we don't see today? Since, as you mentioned, we already have three billion gamers. It feels like they're very happy playing. You know, Fortnite, Roblox, Minecraft, the games of today, like, what is it that's missing that you think could be improved with 
interoperability. Very broadly, it's like there's two paths, paths to the future of the metaverse. One is a closed metaverse, which is owned by one company or a few companies that make all the rules. And the other is an open metaverse, which is built by you know, millions of different creators that uh, are all collaborating, the worlds are interlinked, and everybody can take part, and nobody controls the metaverse, nobody makes the rules. Mm-hmm. And, and it's you know, partly or mostly owned by, by the creators and, and, the, and, the, and the builders of those things, or like it is owned by the builders. So anyways, the open metaverse is a better future for, for all of us here. The metaverse is, is powerful, we're gonna spend a lot of time in it, so we don't want it, want it to be controlled by one company. For the open metaverse to exist, they need to be cross-game services, interoperability. You need to be able to transfer items between games, mm-hmm. uh, and that really like gives gives uh, you know builds the ground for the open metaverse to exist. Mm-hmm. And just practically, well, would you want to have a thousand different outages for a thousand different games? Like you, you just want to have one identity. It's consistent. It travels with you across across worlds. Mm-hmm. And also, when you sell, you know, as a, as a developer. You know, when you sell skins and outdoor accessories, for example, you know, would you users rather buy something that is stuck in one game or travels across the metaverse mm-hmm. anywhere? It's more valuable. Exactly. And it stays with you. You can uh, use it throughout your kind of like metaverse life cycle. Right. David, what's your reaction to that? I, I'll step aside from my engineering roots and, and uh, wonder about all the technical hurdles between here and there. It's more about, my question is really like standards. Like you've talked about, uh, you know, services, you know, shared services and things like that. Who, who would, who, you need a shared, you know, you need the protocols. Yeah. Right? You need standards, and, and how do those get established and agreed yeah. upon? And like, how do you imagine that that being a community-driven effort, or how does that get solved? We already have three thousand co- companies we work with that use our outers, and all of them use different standards. Actually, like they use a different file format, they use a different rig, they use a different, uh-huh. you know, and and we kind of just like. Uh, work around it and offer it to in, in whatever like spec that the developer needs. Right, so that's how we make the interoperability happen as a centralized party essentially at today. I think for the industry to figure out standards and protocols, it needs to be clear that an interoperable economy or interoperable interoperable systems are better user experience and, and their business better business model. And uh, and for that to happen some kind of a proto metaverse needs to exist and show everyone that it, you know, it builds a bigger economy, is a better way to build games. And then like, there's motivation for people to figure out the standards and protocols and, and agree on them. Right now, it's just a, a concept. And, and yeah, you can work around it, but it's not going to like, tip the entire industry overnight. <laughs> do you think, if you had a bet, do you think you end up with the sort of closed wall metaverse or sort of an open metaverse? I think there will be a little bit mix. So there will be definitely platforms that they want to build a closed world and then can build a closed world. And then there will be uh, a big part of open mm-hmm. metaverses as well that uh, exists side by side. And it's interesting that um, uh, one of the theses that we have as a fund is that games are next generation social networks, mm-hmm. right? That kids that are growing up today, they're, they're largely not on Facebook, they're not on Snapchat, they're spending all of their time in these virtual worlds that these gentlemen are building. And then if you continue advancing that sort of social network thesis, We'll also notice that there are several social networks that exist today, right, that are also, that are large and very successful, right? Like we have Snapchat, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have LinkedIn, we have Discord. Um, and so there's no like one winner take all social network. And it's interesting to think that games might evolve similarly, where you also have kids that are going between Minecraft and Roblox and Fortnite and League of Legends, and there are very healthy social communities that you might find uh, different social graphs within each one. Yeah. Let me, let me change tactics uh, and talk about uh, there are two technologies that many people associate with the metaverse. I think the first is VR, virtual reality, 
And then the second is Web3, which we touched on a little bit with interoperability. Maybe let's start with VR first. An interesting sort of a factor that I'm very excited about is that Meta recently announced that the Oculus Quest 2 had shipped 15 million units since launch in Q4 2020. This is actually more than the number of Xboxes, the last generation Xboxes that have been shipped. Um, so it's a notable milestone. What's your reaction to that and sort of what's your uh, stance on the future of VR sort of going forward from here? Uh, so the v VR is so difficult for me because it's a platform that today I can't use. I get, I'm one of the few people who get super nauseous. But I think that there is, I, I think once the technology allows everyone to participate, I think... Um, hardware improvements. Yeah, hardware improvements also cost, you know, sort of like barrier to entry. Um, I think you can really start to talk about, um, you know, real permeation in the marketplace. Yeah. I mean, VR was the reason we kind of started creating out just nine years ago when mm -hmm. it was acquired by, by Facebook. So uh, so it's been like a close to us, uh, but it took a lot longer to, to get here, you know, mm -hmm. to a place where we have actually a good amount of headsets out there. Um, we are not, as a company, we're not make, making a bet on VR because it will be a part of the metaverse. Mm -hmm. There are more ways there are for people to experience the The more people will, you know, um, have interesting experiences and the more developers will figure out cool things that they can build with that. So uh, it's just a kind of a tailwind for the, for the, for the metaverse generally, but it's not like the core part, or it's not going to be a core part of the metaverse uh, for, for uh, quite a bit of time. And one of the challenges for VR app developers is the requirement, since you're in a 3D space, that you need to have an avatar. Yeah. Right? That's, and in general, it's much more difficult to build yeah. a 3D avatar than a 2D one and exactly. so on and so forth, right? It is, yeah. yeah. So we have a lot of VR companies who work with that, that use our avatars. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, in VR, you're just like, it's like, you know, when you're speaking with an avatar, it's like very much in your face. <laughs> it really matters, you know, like if it's a, it's a bad avatar, it's, 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 a, it's a terrible experience. So, yeah, in VR, it doesn't matter really. That's who you are and that's, that's who, you know, who your friends are when you, when you speak with them. And I think just maybe zooming up one level to talk about avatars in general, um, you know, there's been a trend of VTubing, right, where you have YouTubers that are actually, you know, um, streaming and creating videos using an avatar instead of their real life selves. This is happening on Twitch as well. And um, do, you, do you feel that the trend of people uh, representing themselves publicly using avatars mm -hmm. over their real life selves will continue? Yeah, okay. for sure. I mean, like, Avatars just they lower the barrier of, of like of creating content because you don't have to put your uh -huh. real you know identity out there. You can uh -huh. just have this like avatar representation. It can look like you. It doesn't have to look like you. And you can create content with it. You can represent yourself as this avatar. So uh, yeah, and as the technology improves, as there's like more better tracking solutions and easier tracking solutions, uh, I mean this thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think that they'll only continue evolving. And also, like, when you can use your avatar used for streaming, you can actually use it in games, you can use it on mm -hmm. social media. Like, it becomes a you know, like consistent identity across your entire kind of virtual experience. Yeah, it's also very powerful. It's something that we see in games often is that your idealized self can sometimes be represented better digitally than yeah. in your life, right? Like, you can yeah. be anyone that you want in the, in the metaverse and in, in a video game and so on. Yeah. yeah. Last topic is, uh, is Web3, which I know is, um, uh, has also been controversial. Uh, there have been many gamers that have had sort of a, an allergic reaction to NFTs, like Minecraft recently announced that they were actually um, banning NFTs from that platform. Is there something that you think players are misunderstanding here? Are you sympathetic to that? What's your reaction? 
Oh, I don't think players are missing anything. I think it's developers who are missing something, really. Mm. I, I think that players, especially hardcore gamers, are, have been doing a lot of things that, not all, but a lot of things that NFTs are being marketed as to a player, right? Hey, we've, we've now uh, put our game on top of uh, the blockchain, and now you're able to trade, now you're able to own, now you're able to uh, you know, accrue value, blah, blah, et cetera, et cetera. I, Played some CSGO, I've played some WoW, I've definitely gone on some shady uh, black market websites and bought new accounts. Sorry if anyone's from Blizzard. Um, and, and these things these things have existed, that they're not safe and they're not secure and they're not repeatable. Um, and there's value there for players that they've interacted with. But I think that when the UX is looks very crypto on the surface, here's my uh -huh. wallet, I gotta sign in, I gotta I gotta exchange for a Currency, blah blah blah. Like, it it's off-putting, I think. And I think that players will go to anywhere where there's true player value, right? And I think that um, the blockchain adds a is, an, is a brilliant technology that provides a lot of capabilities that players currently value, uh -huh. right? But I think that there's a lot of folks in the Web three space who are creating a UX, uh -huh. and you don't you don't know that's what you're doing. You know, I think there's, and I think that's a brilliant approach, right? I think, as a gamer, if I put my game on on the chain, or I, or I you know, I really target uh, Web three as as a core to my product. I want players to discover that as they sort of unwrap the onion, right? You, you should be able to sign in just like any free to play game. You should start to play. You should start to earn, and then you can discover these things, right? I think that's the key. Yeah, I think people like hate the concept of NFTs, not what they provide, the ownership. <laughs> uh, so it's like the speculation and, and stuff like that. Gamers see it from the side, what's going on in the market, and that's uh, that's kind of like what what people are hating, not not the like the ownership it provides. And as more applications come come out, it just really use the, the value of NFTs, and also like cross game, uh, you know, mm -hmm. valuables, mm -hmm. because like yeah, you can own an asset in, in one <coughs> game, but then uh, NFTs mm -hmm. and blockchain really help. You know, separate the ownership from a, from a particular game and make it make it usable across many worlds, and that's uh -huh. just not a reality to the, today yet. Right. So uh, when those things happen, then it's it's more kind of an obvious divide they bring as well. Yeah, it's very clear that we're still in the early innings of, of Web three, and a lot of the promise of it is it's going to be um, ultimately carried out by builders like yourselves that are building at the frontier. So, um, and with that, I think we're actually out of time. So. Thank you, David and Timu, for discussing the, the future of games with us. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information about Time to Build LA, go to a16z.com.